welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live, yes, all the way live from Black Girl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. Well, I hope you all have had a wonderful week. There's a lot going on, because guess what? Woo, the, the primary day, May 3rd, is less than a week away. Next Tuesday is the day. Now, of course, you can go out and early vote if you want. They actually extended vote centers into all nine of our townships in, in Marion County, of course. But know where your early vote centers are, and you can still go early vote up until Sunday. And then Tuesday's the day. We start watching the clock. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's the most wonderful time of the year, election, when you get to determine who is going to represent you at all levels of government. Doesn't that just excite you? I mean, it excites me, right? It wakes me up in the morning. Because I know that if we show up and show out at the voting booth, then we have the potential to send people to the state house, and that's where my love always is, to the state house that are going to fight for Hoosiers. Why is that important? Well, I saw today, I'm not even going to go into details about it, but uh, I saw today that Todd Rakita is suing Black Lives Matter. Hmm. Oh, no. Man, he's an elected person. I mean, he, he don't have nothing else better to do. He got to go sue Black Lives Matter because he wants to find out where their money's going while he spends our money to go down to the Texas border. Huh. But luckily, my dude, my guy up in South Bend, it's like, I'm not worried. My man Geiger, I'm not worried. I'll give him what he wants. I'll show them how we're spending the money. But this is what they're do- this is what they're doing at the state house. Suing black lives matter. Do they really then? I- I'm gonna let y'all work that out. But there's something else that we ought to be considering. So on May 24th, I've talked to you guys about the fact that they're gonna meet at the state house to override uh uh, uh Governor Holcomb's veto of the anti-trans bill. So they're going to be spending a lot of time, a lot of energy and money to overturn that veto when there was another report. I told you about the education report that came out last week that said that we were 48th in the nation for public schools, and they included charter schools in the, in the ranking. Don't seem to care about that one. Then I talked about this, the Lilly CEO that was complaining and saying, look, the quality of life in Indiana sucks. That's why we built our facility in North Carolina, right? Not like we don't have plenty of opportunities here in Indiana for Lilies, an Indiana, Indianapolis-based company, a place for them to expand within our borders. But they said, yo, we can't, we can't find people to work, to fill the needs, the education attainment that they have to have. So we're going to have to go somewhere else where we're, they're actually educating their people. Yeah, that happened. But what is more disturbing is another report came out today talking about the lack of affordable housing for low-income people. So now, let's, let's, let's talk about it. We're going we gonna to dive into this real quick. I'm going to read. The, I'm gonna put some numbers up for you to take a look at. Right? Put some numbers up, and I'm going to read a few things for you. For you. Uh, Around the country, many families are challenged with the burden of severe housing costs. 
To address the issue, the Indianapolis city government released a plan to improve affordable housing. The report says although Indiana ranks as one of the most affordable places to live, few options exist. Think about that. It's supposed to be an affordable place to live, but there's not very many options. Indiana has 38 affordable or available rental homes for every 100 households with extremely low incomes tied to the fourth lowest rating in the Midwest and 20th lowest among all states. So think about that. For every 100 families who are low income, which we know in Indiana, that's what we do. We don't pay people in Indiana, right? We don't pay people a living wage. There's only 38 available homes for those families. That means people are doubling up and crowding into affordable housing or they're homeless or they're houseless. And there are a quarter of all Indiana renters who are considered extremely low renter households. 72 of those folks are spending more than half of their income on housing. And that's the highest rate of severe housing cost burden in the entire Midwest. So again, while we're sending people to the state house to fight over trans rights and ability to play sports, or Ty Rakita is gonna sue Black Lives Matter, we have stagnant wages in Indiana. And because of those stagnant wages, people are spending over half their income on affordable housing if they can get it. Now, Indianapolis, like many other cities right now, is facing a housing crisis, uh, and everyone is feeling it. Um, but Joe Hawk said, Mayor Joe Hawk said, and the Department of Metropolitan Development are rolling out a plan in Marion County to uh, using $6 million of the $55 million allocated to the city under the American Rescue Plan because Democrats deliver. Hello, hello. And uh, so the money will be spent in neighborhoods to create and preserve affordable housing, specifically for people who make 60% less than the area's median income. Uh, the part of the plan focus on focuses on creation and preservation of affordable housing will create 450 units around the city, including the north side, the near north side, the west side, the near south, and, and around Fountain Square. So Indianapolis is trying to address it. But you see this report is Indiana housing profile. But what's happening in these other counties? What's going to happen? And why aren't we addressing this at a statewide level of concern? But we, you know, we want to we want to focus in on who plays softball and who can go swimming and how they can swim. But people are struggling and had not that money from the American Rescue Plan that Democrats delivered on from Congress, from the federal government, what would we be doing here in Marion County? The struggle is real. And until we begin to address living wages, until we begin to address, uh, you know, the, the 
the cost of housing is freaking skyrocketing along with everything else. You know, the pandemic didn't help. And the white on white crime happening over in Europe, the Ukrainian war. Yeah, yeah, I've been holding on to that one for a few weeks and I've been hearing people say it. And I knew if I said it, I would make some people mad. So I thought I would say it, wait it and save it until somebody else said it first in the national news. They did it. But yes, the ultimate white on white crime. While he's over there clowning and cutting off natural gas supplies, which is going to hurt everybody. All the expenses are going through the roof. We have legislators who are not focused on how to improve the lives of Hoosiers who are struggling, who can't control any of that stuff. Can't control any of it. I don't understand this. I don't understand why we continue to give them our salaries, our money for their salaries, and they don't look out for us. How many more ways do we have to tell, do we have to be shown that they don't care about us? How many more ways do we have to hear that they would rather do something else than to take care of us? That's why it is so important that election Tuesday, you get out and you select the Democrat that you want to be in the general election. And then we all as Democrats come together, galvanize behind our Democratic candidates, and we, we do everything we can. We push, we pull, we tug, we cajole, we spend our money. We do what we have to do, what you can do, whatever it is, to help get these Democrats elected. We don't have any other choice. Because people need us. People need us to show up and be Democrats and deliver. All right? Indiana's on Dana Black. Hey, next week, I got a surprise for y'all. You know, J.D. Ford let me know in an article that I read out of the Indianapolis Star. <laughs> the state of Indiana is going to take up the Florida's don't say gay bill. It's coming to Indiana next session. And we need to be prepared. And we need to be ready to fight. So next week, I am bringing on a very special guest. It's the week after the primary. So y'all don't probably ain't want to talk to me. And I get that. I'm going to bring my friend, Representative uh, Carlos Guillermo Smith from Florida. And he's going to talk to us about what they've been doing uh, down in Florida so that we can start stockpiling our intellect to get busy so we can try to combat uh, what happened down in Florida. So you're going to hear directly from him. He's going to be a special guest. Y'all, yes, you know, Indiana's own. I got connections all over. But, but more importantly, after we talk to him for about 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to bring my, my good friend, Brandon Evans of Hope on, and we're going to recap the primary, and then we're going to talk about how you can get involved to combat these types of bills, right? That's the whole goal. So next week, we're going to have a great show. Make sure you mark it on your calendars and tune in. But tonight, whoo, I get excited when I think about the possibility of sending some more Democrats to the state house. Y'all, my first guest, I got a chance to meet him while he was at a, a, the Mer Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus and the, the 9th District Latino Caucus um, uh, candidate forum. He had a great message. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I have a chance to get him on because I had his primary opponent on. Y'all give it up for my first guest, Brad Swain, who is running for House District 62. Brad, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love it. And remember about a month or so ago, I told you how excited I was that my old district, the district that I ran in, 
District 88 had not just one candidate, it had two. Think about it. I want you to understand, in 2014, there was no candidate on the ballot in District 88. Every election since then, we have had a woman, and two of them have been women of color running in that district. And this year, we have two women running in district, or what, no, two women? Did I get it right? Not that, well, one, one Republican, one Democrat. One Republican, I thought you had a primary race. I do, but it's a guy. Oh, it's a guy, okay, running my, bad. Again. my bad. We got two candidates in District 88 who is, is running in my old district, trying to unseat a Republican, and I am super excited. So y'all give it up for my girl, Donna Griffin, who is running in District 88. Donna, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. It's nice to be here and get to get to talk, talk and get with it. I love it. So did you guys have anything that you wanted to add? Uh, Monroe County, I know, has been battling and having deep conversations about affordable housing. Brad, did you have any, any thoughts on, you know, what we're seeing? And I know you didn't dive into that report because I never share information about what I'm going to talk about beforehand. So <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, in uh, Monroe County and Bloomington, one of the challenges is having the university there here. Uh, there is all kinds of new housing being uh, uh, built for affluent East Coast uh, students and even some from Indiana, of course, but uh, the student influence affects affordable housing and it also affects price indexing for things such as gasoline and groceries. They kind of see what people have uh, to spend in a given community and Monroe County, Bloomington is generally, uh, you'll find that groceries and uh, gasoline are higher than other parts of the uh, state. And uh, the influence of the university has a lot of great benefits, but it does affect the ability to, uh, to find affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course your deposits that are needed and a review of a person's previous history renting somewhere uh, can affect their ability to find housing here. Yeah, I, I know. I, listen, people think I live in Bloomington. I do not <laughs> because I spent so much time down there. But I, I always fill up before I get to Bloomington because I know I'm going to pay at least 10 cents more on the gallon in Bloomington. Drives me nuts. Yeah. Donna, what, what say you on the housing crisis? Well, I will tell you, uh, first of all, I have a son and daughter-in-law and two grandkids that live in Bloomington, and I can go their whole way about how hard it was for them to find houses, and they have, you know, really good jobs. The housing market in there is crazy, and it's the same thing in a lot of the cities you meet. It is a statewide problem, because I was just at the McCordsville Town Council Town Hall that they had, and everyone across the board, different parties were saying, there's a big problem, especially in growing cities and cities where people want to live. So it is, yes, low income is a major issue, but it's becoming homeowners, anybody who wants to have a homeowner who has a good job is getting squeezed yeah. because the big developers are coming in and buying up the land. And then they either, they either if they're existing homes, then they take them and they 
make them rent. And then if they're home, new homes, they're so high priced that people that want to be in a house can't. So they end up living in a rental and then they're caught in a cycle. Yeah. And so it's, it's a problem. And I agree with you. Um, it's something, one of many, a litany of list of issues that our state legislature chooses to ignore and puts a lot of rhetoric that really is is just beyond the lives of most of us we don't care about what they're talking about and they're not representing us Absolutely. i haven't been represented in 88 and i know you could say the same thing i haven't been represented in 88 for ever right. that i know of right and 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 you know you couple that with the fact that um the feds are in, are going to raise interest rates you know so where you where you might have had a price point you know, now you've been squeezed out of the price point because of the interest rate, right? So that means it's, and it's, and, but the, the crazy thing is like this whole conversation about housing, we're talking about, you know, low income housing. We're talking about people who, if they're making the minimum wage, right, they cannot afford to rent in this, anyway. in the state, right? And, you know, even though some of us who are blessed and, and have means and, and we may be getting priced out of the type of place we may have wanted, we probably can still find something and we can probably still afford something. But, we'll, but when you have people who can, we can't seem to address the, the wage issue and because we can't address the wage issue, we can't address everything that surrounds the wage issue, including housing, healthcare, childcare, all of those other things. And the fact that we're not educating people to increase their wages. I mean, it is so, it's, it's so circular to me. It just, I don't understand yeah. why they're supposed to be smarter than me, right? They got their law degrees, they doctorates and all that other stuff. How come they don't see what I see? Yeah, because I think that they're caught up in, and what I would say, no offense to Brad, but I would say sometimes it's a very, very male centered view of politics and the purpose of our local governments, any, any government. And the government is supposed to work together to provide a consensus and to deal with the issues of, that the people who elected them want them to deal with. What we have right now is very patriarchal, very sexist government in Indiana, especially in the state house with that supermajority that says, we know what needs to be done and we're going to do it because we can. And woe to the voters who let that happen, you know, and then largely because they vote without knowing who they're voting for or what that person is going to do. That's how my opponent got in the office that he's in because mm -hmm. he was appointed mm -hmm. and they knew he couldn't win an election on his own. So they appointed him and made him the incumbent. So, but he has not done anything, you know, he attacked like, like you said, Rakita. Mm -hmm. He is supposed to be, he says he's supporting schools. I get his literature because he's my representative right now. He says he is, he is supporting the schools and supporting parents. Well, he is now the lead lawyer in a lawsuit against his suing Carmel Clay schools to try to get their Archard Park building for a charter school with out of state ties for $1 because the Orchard Park has said, no, we're using it. We're going to use it for parks. We're using it the way it's supposed to be used. 
his law firm is suing. So he's suing the very schools he's supposed to be representing, the very citizens he's supposed to be representing. He's suing them as the lead lawyer. Uh, that, well, you know what? I never liked that dollar because IPS got shanked on that. Yes. The, you know, a, a whole building for a dollar? A dollar? But we're talking about people don't have housing. Gee, what could we do with some of those schools? And that's the same way they rag then they rag on IPS because why don't you have money? Why aren't you doing this with your money? The reason why we don't have money is you don't let us sell that building for the $8 million that, that it worth. really was yeah. worth. Brad, what's that? And you? then use that in our district. Yeah, Brad, what say you? Well, there are some uh, attempts down here in the area to uh, develop multi use housing, which would blend mm -hmm. uh, people from different financial levels with duplexes, homes, townhouses. And, uh, you know, it's a real challenge to get somebody to be willing to build that when the market is so strong that uh, it's a heck of a lot uh, more profitable to build. You know, there's plenty of activity in the 300 to $500,000 home range that uh, why not build a home like that on a little bit larger lot? Uh, and uh, one of the other things a friend of mine who is my uh, campaign chair is involved in uh, a project in West Baden in Orange County to build homes that employees of uh, Cook Corporation with the West with the uh, hotels so the employees they have can have affordable housing hmm. and these are homes that will be purchased not uh, rented out uh, to employees but uh, it's such a problem in our rural counties mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. where uh, some of the corporations are uh, doing what they can to build uh, housing units uh, to make them available for their employees so they can maintain a workforce absolutely and that's why we're losing industries uh, to other states all right that's enough of our, our rant today that's a good one y'all would woo. I'm see I need y'all need to get elected I like that so we're gonna start with you Brad <laughs> Tell the people who you are and where you come from. Well, I grew up here in Monroe County, just outside of Bloomington on the west side. Uh, and that means that I have swam in and dove off ledges and a lot of the quarries that you might see depicted in a certain movie that was made famous a few years ago. Uh, I uh, am the county sheriff here in Monroe and I am term limited. So there is a new sheriff who will be taking office. Uh, and uh, there is a good chance that our next sheriff will be our first African-American sheriff. We have two candidates running and uh, both of them bring some great talent in their own individual rights. And uh, it could be a historic time here. I love it. Uh, I. Uh, have a farm on the south end of Monroe County, and I also have a uh, family multi-generation tree farm uh, down in Perry County outside of Tell City. Uh, so at the moment, I should be scouting turkeys, but uh, I'm here and uh, glad to be here. But uh, I enjoy rural living, uh, but growing up in Monroe County uh, and uh, 
knowing the value of Indiana University and uh, how energetic the Bloomington and Monroe County area is with its diverse population and the cultures that come from all over the world. Uh, so to be the sheriff here uh, has been something that uh, has been a great treat for me. I'm sometimes referred to as the hippie sheriff of Indiana. I love it. <laughs> but uh, I've been with sheriff's office uh, 35 years now, and I spent 20 years as a detective, and I spent most of that time investigating child abuse mm. and sex crimes, uh, and crimes involving family dynamics, and uh, developed a good reputation for uh, the way that I investigated those crimes. And I served on different boards, our sexual assault response team, child fatality review team, and other boards related to child safety. And as Monroe County Sheriff, I represent all sheriffs in Indiana on the state sexual assault res re uh, response team. And uh, at this point, there was some redistricting for District 62. Uh, they cut out a heavily Republican county, Green County, cut it out of the district and added Brown County and just a smidgen of Jackson. And uh, the uh, dynamics of the, uh, the uh, new district is purple rather than red. And uh, I think it will be quickly identified as to be one of the districts that can be won by a Democrat. I love it. I love it. You know, you you bring so many different uh, dynamics to this this conversation. One of the, one of which is, um, you, people seem to think that in rural Indiana we don't have any Democrats. And I'm listening to you talk about you know Tail City and and Perry County and and rural Monroe County. It, you're dispelling the argument that there aren't any Democrats in, in these in these locations. Well, there are, and uh, they're more of the your union people. And uh, a friend of mine, Senator Shelley Yoder, when she ran uh, against uh, Todd Young, I explained to her, I think the first time we talked is you need to uh, understand that Democrats outside of Bloomington, Monroe County are a different animal and gave her some guidance on how to uh, address things such as uh, firearms related issues uh, that uh, I know plenty of lifelong union people who will vote for a Republican president over uh, Second Amendment issues. And they know they shouldn't, but they do. And that's something that people need to know that Democrats outside of Monroe County uh, and maybe Marion, uh, they are out there. Uh, they are, uh, uh, they have a little bit different, more moderate or centrist viewpoints on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are certainly plenty of Democrats in South Central and Southern Indiana. Yeah, and one other issue that you, you I wanted to touch on because you, you're, you know, you, you're hitting it. We know that law enforcement, especially the uh, state police, um, were not too thrilled and, and were fighting against the constitutional carry a bill that was passed out of the state house. Um, we know that there's Second Amendment. You know, we we're not saying that you can't have your gun. Um, but what as a law someone who is in law enforcement, right? How does a bill like that impact you? How do you feel about you know this this constitutional carry? 
it is not a officer safety problem. It is a public safety problem. And the Indiana Sheriff's Association kind of remained neutral and sheriffs uh, were allowed to uh, take whatever position they wanted, but we did uh, spell out some of the concerns. The Fraternal Order of Police also uh, was against it. The issue we have is that when we would encounter someone with a gun permit, say on a traffic stop, their driver's license lets us know that that person has a gun permit. And what that tells us is that that person's probably pretty law abiding. I rarely have had problems with people with gun permits uh, being involved in criminal acts. Uh, what we have now is if someone has a, a handgun, they can carry it anywhere. And if they were on their way to commit an act, we're not able to intervene by arresting that person for not having a uh, handgun license. Mm. We're also not allowed to do a background check. So all we can do is let them go on their merry way. Uh, if they have a mental health issue where they were not supposed to have a gun, we won't know that either. And so we are somewhat perplexed on how we will uh, address issues where someone should not have a gun. Uh, and whether for mental health issues or whether uh, it is a, uh, a matter of uh, them being a violent felon and should have never had a gun. Uh, so it is a real problem that we are trying to address. And uh, I could uh, go on and on about that. But uh, we had a legislative update with the Sheriff's Association and the State Police Legal Council. Mm -hmm. talked with us about it and they've had meetings and strategy uh, sessions on how law enforcement can respond and they don't have an answer. Wow. Well, and it's uh, interesting that you, you framed it, you framed it in a very unique way. I am not in law enforcement. I don't claim to be, but I found it interesting. You said that it is a, a police safety issue and here you have a state house full of re Republicans that will knock themselves out trying to be the first people who are down with law enforcement, but yet they they just pass legislation that puts y'all in harm's way immediately. And I can tell you, signing gun permits, uh, I've signed a lot of gun permits, and I'm sure a lot of those people were Democrats, and there are a lot more gun owners uh, on either side of the uh, political spectrum who are very responsible. But I did not have citizens complaining to me about coming in and paying a fee to for the gun permits. It was a non-issue and it was a narrative of, uh, in my view, the sovereign citizen types. Uh, because I have some people that came down here from Jay County to hunt and we were talking, I mentioned this, and he's also the same. There are people that shouldn't be carrying guns and police need to know that. And uh, there are a lot of people I know that own firearms and hunt and uh, believe in the Second Amendment and its purpose. But they also agree that uh, there needs to be a way to ensure the public is safe and that they acknowledge that there are people who shouldn't have guns wow. and uh, shouldn't possess them, shouldn't be carrying them and that law enforcement should be able to immediately address those people. I love it. I, you know what? I, 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 I didn't know that was going to get you fired up. I'm going to tuck that oh. away for later use. <laughs> Donna.
tell the people who you are and where you come from. All right. Well, I am the candidate for House District 88, which also just got redistricted into some crazy way. But we've got four counties that it crosses four counties. So it crosses Hancock, Hamilton, Madison, and Marion. So um, I have luckily been or lived in two of them for many years and worked in the other two. So, and I am where I'm at. I'm around them all the time. I know them, I know the people. I am a dyed in the wool Hoosier. Um, I 18 years as a local journalist in Indiana and then 25 years as a teacher. Only 10 of them were in El Paso, Texas where we moved for my husband's job for a while and then we came back to Indiana and I went back to my alma mater which is where I met met you Dana for the first time was um, I'm the student media teacher at Arsenal Technical High School Go Titans it is my alma mater and it is where I taught for um, nearly 10 years before I went to Shortridge High School and I also taught at Shortridge so go Blue Devils and I taught for a little bit at Broad Ripple High School in um, in IPS. So I'm an IPS person. I grew up in the near east side of Indy in Marion County was my hometown until about for the first nearly nearly 25 years or so of my life and then moved to Hancock County and the been but I've always been right on that west side of Hancock County. So um, yeah. I am also a local author. I've written four books all about, most of them have some kind of Indiana or journalism bent to them. 12 Days of Christmas in Indiana. I wrote Old Whiskers Escapes. I also wrote about the birth of the First Amendment, which is a big deal uh, for me as a journalist and a journalism teacher. And I also just did one on the Ultimate Sibling Showdown, which also brings my love of sports in, which you cannot have if you're not a Hoosier. Right? And yeah, yeah. So, but I'm running for two main reasons. One is education is my passion. And if I talk too much about it, then you'll, too much longer about it, you'll find out. I mean, I love teaching. I love teachers. I love schools. I think, as you said in, in your rant, that's the that's where we have to really pay attention because that is the foundation of everything else we want done in this in this city in this country in this state that's what we want done we want education to be equitable for everyone accessible to everyone and to be responsive to what both the students and the teachers and i think what's gotten lost lately is the teacher part, yeah. because teachers are now somehow become the blame. They are the, the evil ones. And yet two years ago in the pandemic, everybody was like, they're like the superheroes. Yeah, We had to, as teachers, and I taught through the two years of the pandemic, teachers had to do a superhuman turnaround that was not comparable to any other general profession. We went from one day we're in school with kids and then suddenly we're at home. Okay, you're gonna have to teach them and you got two weeks, figure out how to teach them from your house <laughs> and get it done. Yeah. And the fact that we were able to, to do that and bring it together for these last two years, teachers are 
are truly are superheroes and they aren't getting the credit or the support from the people at the state level for the people that are supposed to be providing them with resources not just money but that's a big deal because that brings about the lower class sizes and the the um the technology that they need but even so they have the technology but they don't have the teachers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the reason why is because they're not respected and they're not supported and they're not considered professionals in which, most cases which is the absolute insane aspect about all of this when you consider not one of those people in that state house could be in that state house had it not been for a teacher so true you know so true and they talk about the teacher shortage they are they really trying to address the teacher shortage they they say they are by doing this this adjunct you know you don't actually know how to teach just have a skill in a, in a profession which is which really it, it's like okay teachers y'all went out there and got all those degrees and certifications we just gonna let any old body teach because they are an engineer or they're right you know. no i know i agree and and it's to me it's like okay you have doctors you you have a shortage of doctors or a shortage of nurses you say okay hey anybody who wants to to learn, you know, real quick on the fly, how to be a nurse, because you know you can just substitute for a nurse and come in and do it. That that they, would never. They actually happen. did try to introduce some legislation that said they were going to cut down the the uh, the lab time. That they were going to cut yeah. down the lab time for the nurses. I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah, but that's not the problem. They don't address. That's that's what I see in general in the legislature right now at the in Indiana for the last. I would say at least at least 12 uh, 10 years because in 2012 is when the they started dismantling public education and they started trying to privatize it mm -hmm. and they started trying to to evaluate teachers and make teachers accountable and not just for their own job as teachers but for the student performance and mm -hmm. that's where i think is the crux of what most of the teachers cannot stand is that teachers are responsible for the students performance and while on the surface that sounds very politically correct but it's not because you don't tell a doctor if he's treating a patient well if that patient doesn't do everything the doctor says then that patient will be continue to be sick but yet and the, and the doctor's not held responsible. not the doctor's fault the doctor told them what to do the doctor gave them everything they needed to be healthy and they chose to do what Something they chose else. to do. And on top of that, add, add, add to it, you know, the doctor can tell the person to go do something and they may not be able to afford to go do it. And the doctor is not held re uh, responsible for what the patient can't afford. But teachers are definitely held responsible for what parents can't afford and they got to go out and buy it themselves or yeah yeah so there's i mean you know when you hit i mean you're hitting on a lot of stuff with this education thing and 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 brad you're hitting on the thing with the law enforcement thing and and it, what we're seeing in our state house are people are being elected to make to write policies and make decisions about our lives that that don't actually improve lives when you brad when right. you get a chance to to make it to the state house you come through the primary and you're elected in the state house Talk about, we talked about law enforcement, we're there, but what are the other three things that you are highlighting in your campaign? 
Well, one of them is uh, improving broadband throughout the rural areas. You, you, and, you know your uh, lieutenant I, governor tried to, been talking about that since 2016 and ain't lifted a finger until she got some money from the federal government. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, and one of the issues with the, the dollars that were dedicated to that, uh, as it was explained to me by one of the uh, CEOs of a company that is installing broadband, is uh, what their hopes were for the money was not consistent with the obligations of having federal dollars through a grant. So right now, a lot of that money is held up because of some of their objectives. They need to make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed if anyone's dealt with federal grants. Uh, they uh, want to make sure you're following the program right. And uh, I think a lot of that's going to be freed up. Uh, and I just foresee that it would really revitalize the rural areas. Uh, industry may come where a person can work out of a business or their home in a small rural Indiana town and look out and their children are playing in fields and with their neighbors. And uh, that in turn will revitalize the small towns because there will be more people there and we'll have, uh, we'll, would enjoy being able to shop and, and purchase goods without having to travel far into a larger city. And I can perceive that really improving, uh, really improving life in rural Indiana. Uh, getting to your question about the governor's, lieutenant governor, I don't know exactly what the holdup is, but it was explained to me that a lot of states have a rural broadband office that answers to the governor. And right now there's an appointee, but uh, the broadband commission or whatever that term would be is not at the same level uh, in state government as it is in other states such as Arkansas. So I think that's one of the things that uh, uh, as this is taken seriously uh, for Indiana, that uh, stepping up the level of responsibility for our broadband office is uh, the next step to do, I think. Talking a little bit about preserving rural way of life. Uh, as I say, I'm in the, uh, I have a tree farm and ensuring that those of us that do uh, manage farms uh, are able to do so without interference. I know there's a concern about uh, environmental concerns. We have the state forester come and make sure that uh, the people harvesting are doing it in compliance to ensure soil erosion is not an issue getting into the waterways. And that has not been an obstacle that made it difficult for us to run our uh, timber farm. Mm. And uh, mm. I do want to make sure that rural living is preserved where people can enjoy it. And uh, the additional thing with environmental controls is ensuring that those people are allowed to conduct their job and they, they have the funding to investigate 
when there are violations of environmental laws. I love it. I'm telling you something, Brad. You are like you are like pouring love into my heart right now because you know, you are speaking about all the issues that are important to Hoosiers in rural Indiana and you're on our side of the aisle. And it and it I'm telling you I know that there are more people that care about the exact same issues that you care about in those rural communities, but they continue to vote for people who are voting against exactly what they need. You are definitely the right kind of person, you know, and this is just my opinion and I'm not endorsing, right? I want to make sure I put that out there, but I'm telling you, you are telling the story that needs to be told in a way that is palatable for people in other parts of the, of the state. I can't go to every part of the state. It won't resonate the same. But the way you're telling this story right now, dog, we're going to put you on a statewide tour. <laughs> I'm just telling you. One of the things that uh, it's just a matter of reasonableness, and uh, that's something that's lacking right now with the supermajority. And when there's a supermajority, even the reasonable Republicans don't have an out by saying, don't introduce this, it won't pass. So let's not embarrass ourselves. They can embarrass themselves with any bill that they push out there. And one of the things that the Sheriff's Association spends a lot of time with the legislature is a bill will be introduced with no knowledge of the subject matter and all the education comes in while that bill is in committee and all the lobbyists who and lobbyists are lifesavers it's not a negative a lot of times right, because right. they are the, the ones action is a lobbyist yep yeah and they're the ones that provide the education but it's it's kind of odd that a lot of these bills are either on a local issue that should be done at the county level because there's a a, a spitting match between two people or else they don't know enough about the subject and they introduce a bill and then all the education and the changing the language and everything uh, seems to follow after a bill's introduced that shouldn't have been introduced in the first place. I love it. So I'm hoping that as a sheriff, we have a lot of respect in the legislature and especially on, uh, I have a feeling that people will try and go after the red flag laws next that uh, they will have to look me in the eye and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, absolutely. Donna, what are the three issues that you want to you wanna hit on? I know education is one of them. What are some of the other ones? Okay, well, I think a major one for all of the communities that I, that, that encompass in 88, one is, is they are all at a crossroads right now they include towns like Lawrence Township, like Fishers, like McCordsville, Fortville, and that Lapel, Ingalls area of, of Madison County. They're all, they're all straddling the border of kind of what Brad was talking about. They, they were rural, they've been rural for so long, and now they're becoming suburban, mm -hmm. and they're having needs in their communities that that they can't, they can't address, and the state is not, you know, helping them in terms of the roads that they have. And it, well, it sounds bad, but I live along 700 um, right now near the Mount Comfort exit, and there are warehouses going up like crazy, 
there are there are all of the 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 big trucks and the the big rigs are going up and down two lane county roads that and it's gonna it's a big mess and it's stifling development and the the local communities are trying to plan but they can't plan because they don't have the infrastructure to bring in the money for the tax base talking about a circular thing yeah they you know that's why they need thank heavens they've gotten some grants to address major problems through the american rescue plan which you know the republicans still continue to take credit for but but it's okay. not theirs at all you know so that's but crazy. that's a big one because that leads to a lot of different things because if we can have economic development if we can have managed growth then everybody can find the housing then the housing will be built and then people will have you know all of that the tax money some of our schools corporations have to get you know referendums they're they're now trying to get referendums ever since the property tax yeah. you know i mean infrastructure is like one of those things where if if, if we don't address it properly you know, uh, it, it'll never get fixed. I mean, look how long it's been taking us to get 69. I know, Brian, Brad, you know all about that one. Look how long it's been taking to get 69. So infrastructure is definitely, and I I hear you on that. I mean, and when you got all these different, you know, places trying to come together and, and they're not doing the necessary infrastructure to, for the housing, for the growth, right? They're, they're putting all these facilities in. But what's the water, wastewater like? Yeah. What's the, you know, so what what else you got? Well, the main one is, is, is the other one that I, I really feel for, and I know you've touched on it, Brad did it a lot, but I have to, to address it as well from, from kind of the side of a citizen and a teacher, and mm -hmm. that is the gun laws and the violence. But I, have, I want to address it more in general terms, in terms of the violence that we have in our community, mm -hmm. in the communities, because I have seen, I live very near the the Chuck E. Cheese that that had the mm -hmm. the party that was there were gunshots in there. I have been in school situations where we've had lockdowns, and there I'm I don't even want to tell you the stories that some of my students have had about. One of them said to me once, "I just hope I can make it to 18." You know, our young people, especially our young black people, are are there's a major crisis that is not getting solved. Every time I look at my own neighborhood and I hear at least two, three people shot, you know, somebody's killed on the Northeast side, the far East side. I live minutes from, from 38th and Midhopper, 21st and Post. You know, we covered all this and, you know, I just feel like that no one is, it, our leaders, it hurts me as, because I see the mothers who have lost children. And while my child was, I, I had my oldest daughter was killed by a reckless driver. So it's this, but it's the same, however you lose a child, it's the same. But so I feel for those women who have, have lost children to gun violence, the parents. But, and, but don't you think though, like, um, and I, I understand what you're saying, but don't you think like, there's a reason people do what they do. And we go back to that, that circular conversation in that, it's if people are prosperous in in their goals are they really out shooting people i mean I, 
No, no. And I, I don't think that's the case, but I think that what's happened is, is sometimes the legislature wants to blame the victim. And then you say those people don't matter that get killed. And the majority of the people that, that I'm talking about are people that are collateral damage yeah. to, to this. Yeah. 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 But there's, there's 300,000 students who have experienced gun violence in school in the 25 years I've been teaching. I looked it up for something that I was doing um, and no one really cared about that. My whole point is our leaders, that's something that they need to address. Absolutely. It is a constitutional thing. It Absolutely. is something that we need. And it's not something that you can just say, well, no, we have the right to have a gun. They, their free speech is the First Amendment. It is restricted in some cases. You cannot, there's things you cannot do. You can't to yell that. fire in a crowded theater. Right. right, so I think you can, can look at ways that you can control guns in this country and yeah. you need to do that. Yeah. And you do that first, then yeah, I agree. People make poor decisions and people are out. And, but right now it's too easy to have a gun and you know we took cigarettes away from people for a, a lot of cases i mean we said it's dangerous you know don't put them on don't. i think we need to we just need to finally sit down and try to figure out because when they can walk into a school and kill like they did in 2012 kill what 18 20 yeah. kindergartners yeah. and teachers yeah and if somebody can walk in there and do that it's a mental health issue and that's another that's a whole nother issue as yeah, a teacher I think, I, and i'm glad I mean. you brought it up because i was talking to a friend of mine uh and they were talking about how indiana does not have adequate mental health facilities they have facilities for addictions right so if you're if you're battling an addiction there's a place for you to go but if you are truly struggling with a non-addiction based mental health issue indiana is 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 sorely lacking in facilities i mean yep. we already know our health care right we already when when i talked to thomasina marsili the first time and she, on on turn left and she told me that there were counties that didn't have health care facilities like what you know and these are not i'm sorry indiana counties are not small they're decent they're called dana they're called jails Every sheriff in the United States will tell you they run the mental health facility in their community. And that's terrible. And I was going to add to that, you know, law enforcement and and jail should not be the largest mental health care facilities that we have in our state. And th those are things that need to be addressed. But we're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to fight little trans kids. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, the kids, our kids are so struggling. I was just talking to, to another a young teacher who's coming into the profession today because I just came from teaching today. I was substituting. And, and I had such, uh, I told him, I said, you know, he was talking about a larger public school. And I said, yeah, I said, they're struggling. Kids are struggling right now. And somebody said, well, isn't it the, just really the problem the same as it was when, 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 you know, 20 years ago, and I said, no, it's not. 25 years, the incredible changes we've had in 25 years, 20, 25 years. I don't even, my head would be spinning if I was eight, nine, 10, 15, 16 years old right now, two years of a pandemic. 
I hear World War III every time, every other time when I'm on the news. I, you can't watch, I cannot watch the news with my grandchildren around who are nine and 12 because, you know, it can freak people out. It freaks adults out. Well, did you, you know, we, did you guys see the video of, of the, the ballpark where the father was videotaping um, his kids playing baseball and shots rang out? And yes, it was startling to hear the shots, but did you notice how quickly the kids knew what to do. Like, right. They didn't oh, you even, learn that in school. Right. You learn that in they school. They weren't even, they dropped to the ground. They, you know, they, or they, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, it was insane to me. Like, they instinctually know what to do when they hear gunshots. And why aren't we bothered by that? I think that we should be entirely bothered by that. Don't you think, Brad? Uh, similar to veterans returning home and you have that conditioned response and uh, what you're describing is a conditioned response to uh, a loud noise. And it's, you know, you're going to have children are going to do that to uh, not just actual gunfire. Yeah. And uh, that's got to have a lasting effect on their mental health. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, this conversation has been really, really good tonight. Do y'all see what time it is? We almost done. We almost out of time. I know, like, and, and I'm telling you, uh, you guys have been, uh, it's really good when I get a chance to talk to the candidates that I haven't really had on the show before, or we haven't really had a chance to embrace and, and really dig into who each other are. This is, this has been a really good conversation because I think that you two add, um, something incredibly unique and I, and I wish you the best of luck in your primary on Tuesday. I hope things work out in your favor. I do, well, I hope things work out the way they're supposed to work because I'm trying not to walk, you know, gotta be, you gotta be, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. I want all Democrats to win. How about that? So, all right, uh, Donna, do you have, tell the people where they can find you and let us know between now and primary, do you have any events that people should be aware of and how they can help you? If you got any door knocking, what, what you got? Okay. All righty. Well, I want to just say that I'm trying to, I am trying to create this campaign, but I want to build a movement and I want to, Brad mentioned it, you mentioned it, I want to focus, start focusing on what we all have in common and connect these people with diverse perspectives, connect us all with our diverse perspectives of where we live and what we think and build a consensus to make constructive change. So I am going to be out and going to be talking to people and finding out what they want and touching base with them. The first big thing I have, I'm, I'm going to be out and about on primary day, you know, at the locations just to say, you know, hi and, and thanks. I went and voted with my grandchildren last night in early voting, hey. which is amazing to do that, to teach them about voting and to show them how to vote just for that. And, and um, so, I, there is going to be a big town hall um, for all Hancock County candidates, and I'm going to be at that, but that's going to be the week after the primary. Um, you know, we Hancock County Dems, the Hancock County Dems are behind me, and so we're just going on, we're moving ahead. We'll see what happens after the primary, but um, I, am, I am just really grateful to have this time to talk to you and to be able to just you know chat again and to hopefully get some viewers and you can get me at my website which is griffin4indiana.com and there is all the information about my campaign and i'll be putting things up there and also on facebook social media twitter um so 
that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. I'd be, I'd love to know if you're interested in joining me and, and helping. We're going to be out canvassing in the neighborhoods. You know, I'm going to get a lot of steps in. There you okay, go. That's it. That's it. Brad, tell the people where they can find you and what events you got going on. Yeah. Brad Swain for district 62, uh, .com. And of course it would be easy to find the Facebook page as well. Uh, I am uh, knocking on doors. My wife, Amy, is running for county recorder. She has a contested race. She decided to run four years ago. Uh, and uh, my decision to run was uh, once I heard of the redistricting. So uh, she and I are joining forces and where we are at homes, I, uh, we encourage people we visit to vote for our spouse. We've been married 32 years and so far this campaign has not affected that uh, harmony. But uh, at this point, I'm just visiting uh, homes and uh, we'll continue to do so until uh, election day. I have to say the Swains are the first husband wife combination that I've heard, had on turn left. So y'all, <laughs> y'all definitely special and, and good luck to y'all. And I love that. And I tell you what, having a like-minded, uh, you know, dating, uh, dating my girlfriend who is an elected official understands all of my political angst and we can literally wake up in the morning. Good morning, girl. Did you see what's on it? You know, and it's just, <laughs> so I believe it'll probably uh, bond you guys a little closer together. You guys have been fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Learn some things, learn some things about y'all. Um, and, and on the last Thursday before primary, that's what we want. And so Democrats, you know, I'm going to shout out to you. I need you to get to the polls. I know that the, the, the numbers are down. And it doesn't appear to be any enthusiasm in, in, in this year's election. But let me, let me explain some things to you. And, and I'm going to let you work this out in your own brain. But if we don't show up to the polls, and we know that we're going to probably lose some seats in, in the House, in the Senate, and, and some of those things at the, at the federal level. But the one thing that we can control here in Indiana is that we have the ability to do some things in that state house. Because we know sometimes federal legislation that comes down doesn't get the past the, the state house border wall. And sometimes some of the stuff that you do at the municipal level gets blocked by the state. So I need you all to focus in on what's happening in Indiana. And of course, all politics are local. So all your county clerks and all of your county council races that are up, please, please pay attention to those as well. But if we don't pay attention, I want you to understand there is a possibility that we could go back to the previous four, that previous administration that we had. They are mobilized, they are energized, and they are angry because they believe the big lie. And we know when people are angry, they get motivated. So I need you to get angry at the fact that you have people who you are paying their salaries and they are not writing the legislation that is going to improve your community. I need you guys to get angry at the fact that we have real issues in Indiana, like lead in our water and um, coal ash pit still in Southern Indiana and Cancer Island, Island Alley in, in Martinsville and all of these things that are happening in our state that nobody wants to address and talk about. They wanna name bridges and ducks and dinosaurs. I need people to get on the stick. 
because our lives really and truly depend on it. You've seen the text messages. You've heard the recordings. These people were trying to overturn our government. It is a citizen government. And the only way they are allowed to get away with what they're trying to do is if we do not participate in our citizen government. So Tuesday, if you haven't already done so, between now and Tuesday, and if you are registered vote, registered to vote, please get to your polls. Practice. May is practice. Because come November, it's the real deal. May is practice because you're going to pick a good Democrat. And, and it doesn't matter because it's a Democrat. Democrat on the ballot, you're going to be good. But come November, and all summer long, whoever, whoever wins those primary races, don't hang your head if you lost. You get behind one of those candidates, and you help them flip a seat, and you help them win their races. Because if we don't, our lives truly, truly depend on it. And that's, that's it before the primary. And by the way, take a kid with you because voting is fun, <laughs> right? All right, Indiana's own Dana Black. I will be back with a special guest, my good friend, uh, Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith out of Florida. He lives in Orlando. You guys are going to love him. And Brandon Evans from Hope. And we'll be talking about the, the primary and how you can get involved uh, for the general election and any other uh, events that are coming up. I do appreciate you guys listening in this season. We're going to keep it going and we keep it rocking. All right. I'll holler at y'all next week. Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.bensound.com.